Bibles uh, to John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, there's uh, Bibles provided for you in the seat backs there so that you could use. And uh, we're going to read verses 27 through 41 today. John chapter 4, verse 27 through 41. It says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And it is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I I titled this sermon, uh, The Labor of the Lord, and the reason why I did that was I wanted to focus, I wanted us to focus on uh, the Lord's earthly ministry and and exactly the purpose of it. Obviously, the purpose of his earthly ministry was to come and, and, and to give us, uh, to come and die for us and die for uh paid the penalty for the wrath that we were facing and uh, the purpose of his earthly ministry was to minister to the lost to save the lost and uh, we see throughout his earthly ministry that's what Jesus uh, did and that's what he focused on and we have a great example of that here with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 she is the lost of the lost and uh, she is a great representation of who we were before Christ and uh, so the, the whole intent in, title, in, in entitling this sermon, The Labor of the Lord, is so that we could be focused on the Lord's business. In other words, we could be focused on uh, the Father's business. And I, I think that is something that, as Christians, we need to keep in mind every single day and remind ourselves about that because it is difficult to do, especially when we fill up our lives with different things. So I, I want to start off with the sermon summary and then go from there. Uh, The sermon summary is this. Each Christian has an urgent calling to share the gospel with the lost. Now notice I said each Christian. It's not just the pastor. It's Sunday school teacher. Um, It's it's not just the deacons. It's not just those officials of the church. Uh, This calling is to each Christian. A lot of times people think that evangelism is a gift. Evangelism is not a gift. It is a calling. We are all evangelists. Okay, so each Christian has an urgent calling to share the gospel with the lost. 
Now, here's a question right away. What's keeping you from doing it? What's keeping you from doing it? Because I know none of us in here are doing it as efficiently and as effectively as we should. I, I know that. And I'm, I'm raising my hand right with you. Uh, we're not doing it as we should. So what we need to do is we need to self-evaluate and look within ourselves and ask ourselves, what's keeping me from doing what I ought to do? Um, let me ask you another question. Have you ever put off something just because you didn't want to do it? I, I think we all do that. And in fact, I'm in the middle of something right now that I have put off for over a year, and now I'm paying the consequences for. When we moved into our house, I told myself that uh, the flower bed was the last of my priorities and that I would get to it soon enough in a couple of months. And uh, here we are over a year later, and I, just about two weeks ago, I started to try to break up the ground for the flower bed. Nah, uh Not working in this ground. Not without rain. It felt like I was trying to break concrete by hand. And uh, now it's sitting there, and I'm waiting for a good rain. I even tried to water it, let water soak in, get it soft. I went, boom. That wasn't going anywhere. So I said, you know, I'm going to wait for a good rain uh, in order to break up this ground and start the flower bed. But just me delaying that when I should have done it reminds me sometimes of how we delay uh, the labor that we are to be doing, the whole purpose of our existence and what we are called to here on this earth. The Bible says that the end is near. It says it a lot. We hear it a lot in the Gospels especially. The end is near. And uh, they were saying that back then. So that means the end is nearer. So the end is near and we must be ready. The return of Christ, as we understand it, is imminent because we do not know when he will come back. He will come as a thief in the night, the Bible says. So we must be not only ready, but we must be working. We must be about our Father's business. But too often, it seems like there are a million other things that bid for our time. Today, as we look at our passage, that's a great lesson that is learned by the disciples. Um, Jesus takes time to teach them and, uh, uh, and, and, and teach them that no one is too low, no one is too high for us to minister to. And as I said earlier, when I welcomed everybody, I said, hey, everybody's here by divine appointment. Uh, we, we as Christians, we must believe that, that God is sovereign and that he directs our steps. So as I say that to you, I want you to realize that the people that are in your life, the people that you have influence over, that, um, that are saved, that need your help, that need your counseling, that need your advice, that need your prayers, those people are being brought to you by God. It's not just by chance. It's by God. It's by his divine hand. Now think about that for a moment. You, as his vessel, you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get to minister to those people that God is bringing to you. Our labor is urgent and it's important. And many times we go by that person. Sometimes we avoid that person. Because we're too busy. We're too busy. We're too tired. There are a lot of different excuses that we can add to it. We're too focused on something else. But we are to be about our Father's business. We are to focus on the labor of the Lord. Now, good thing, when the disciples, they, they were too focused for this lowly sinner, the Samaritan woman, that they just dismissed her, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but 
Jesus was not too busy. He was not too busy, and he uses this encounter to teach them a very important lesson about what real priorities should be. I think this is great, and I hope it's a blessing to you. But let's, uh, let's start off by first looking at verses 27 through 30. And I, I want to start off by talking about tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Tunnel vision is a very real thing for me, um, especially here in the last couple of years. I, I've been diagnosed with glaucoma. And usually you don't get that glaucoma until later in life, and it's early onset glaucoma with me. And thank God that they caught it early because I, I could have been losing my vision and not even noticed it. Um, I did lose some of it, and that's why I, I have the glasses. I have to use the glasses so I can read, but it's not that bad. But the thing with glaucoma is, if you don't know what that is, is that you begin to lose your vision, and it becomes, you become tunnel vision, basically. You don't necessarily go, go blind. I, I'm sure in some cases you do, but in most cases, your vision just gets so narrow, you lose your peripheral vision and everything just gets honed in into just one little thing and that's why it's very hard to notice whenever you have glaucoma because it's not something that you feel um, you just start to lose your vision and 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 then uh, it's slowly 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 and then by the time you know it uh, your vision is is very very bad as I said I thank the Lord that they caught mine early and I take medication for it but um, just me thinking about that uh, it, it reminds me sometimes of how we lose our, our focus on our purpose in this earth. And it doesn't happen um, overnight. A lot of times it happens within a span of time. Uh, we, we, we tend to uh, take on so many things. We tend to just be consumed about what we are going through and, and, and what is going on with us. We, we forget that we have a greater purpose here on this earth. And when I think about tunnel vision, it reminds me of what was going on here with the uh, disciples. Because our story starts off with the, at the end of the uh, Samaritan woman's conversation with Jesus. Uh, they, they have spoken, and, and Jesus has told her, you know, if, if, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water. And then she goes and says, you know, she doesn't understand living water, and, you know, can I get some of this water? So basically, I don't have to be coming back to this well. And then Jesus confronts her with her sin, and they have a conversation about worshiping in spirit and truth. I listened to Pastor Laramie's sermon that he did last week. I thought he did a wonderful job on that. And uh, after, after they speak about uh, worshiping in spirit and truth, uh, we have the return of the, of the disciples. Uh, they had, in verse 8, it tells us that they had gone and gotten food because they had just uh, gotten into this area after their, their travel. But in verse 27, upon their return... They, it says that they marveled at the fact that Jesus was speaking to a woman, okay, and, and a Samaritan woman at that. So Jesus is at the well. He's waiting there. Uh, the woman comes, and she comes to draw water, and he asks her, give me a drink. He's tired. He's thirsty. He asks her, give me a drink, and then the conversation starts there. So when they come back, they see the end of that conversation taking place. Now, they were so uh, marveled, the Bible says, that they didn't even ask her, what do you seek? And they didn't even ask uh, Jesus, why are you talking to her? We talked about how, how um, kind of weird that was for uh, Jesus to be talking to this woman all by himself at a well. That wasn't uh, according to the culture of the time. But Jesus wasn't concerned about what the culture demanded or what it said. Uh, he was concerned about her soul when he was talking to her. So the disciples came. They saw him uh, talking to her. And, and they really just didn't even acknowledge her. They didn't ask her if she needed anything, and they didn't ask Jesus, why were you talking to her? 
Instead, our story tells us that the woman slips away unnoticed to them or by them. And, and what's awesome about this is that she goes straight into her hometown and begins to share what she just experienced talking to Christ when she spoke to Christ. She goes right away and, and speaks to the people in her hometown. Now, this is pretty awesome because the Bible talks about how she leaves the bucket that she came with. I love the symbolism there because she leaves the, the temporal, physical water behind. That's what she was wanting when Jesus first presented the gospel to her through the living water um, uh, uh, illustration. She, she wanted that, that physical, temporal water, and she ends up leaving that behind because she understands that there's something more important that Christ is offering her. So that, the, the, the bucket she leaves behind, and she goes straight into town, and you can see some... You can sense the urgency in her going back to town to tell people about Christ. Now, her conversation with Jesus left her in awe, and, and you can sense that in verse 29. Because she goes back and she starts telling everybody that uh, she has spoken to Jesus and um, basically that he has told her everything he has ever done. Now, in our, what we read here in Scripture we're not privy to everything that he told her. Apparently, their conversation was a lot more deeper than just what was written here in Scripture for us. But he had a, such a truthful conversation with her that, that, that it, it, first of all, she thought he was a prophet. She said, you must be a prophet. Then she came to realize, no, he's more than a prophet. He's the son of the living God. And, and the conversation with him uh, left her so much in awe that she went back and and she just started sharing, and she said, first of all, this man that I was talking to, uh, he knew everything I had ever done. I, that, that just very, that's very profound for me. Because I, start, I started thinking years back, years back whenever I came to the Lord. And I started thinking how ever since that day and, and even beyond, when the Holy Spirit was gifted to me, how God uses the word of God to speak to our hearts, to move us, to convict us, to encourage us. How he uses the word through the Holy Spirit to speak to his sheep. I think it's just amazing. See, when the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the truth, it is not so much that we are reading his word. But... After time, we come to understand that his word is reading us. His word is changing us. His word is making us move. His word has given us encouragement. It's given us hope. It's, given, it's bringing conviction to our lives. His word is doing all those wonderful things. The power and the preciseness of his word through the Holy Spirit, it exposes our sin. I, I get why she went back and said, he has told me everything I've ever done wrong. Because his word has a way to cut to our hearts, to cut our hearts, to expose our sin, to rebuke us. And then it does this wonderful thing. It restores us. It's a wonderful thing for us to have the word of God. And it's a wonderful thing for us to be equipped with the Holy Spirit, for us to be able to understand it and to be moved by it. See, we can see the way in which the word of the Lord 
has convicted this woman. As I said, she goes back and she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? As I told you, I remember a similar feeling the day that the Lord brought me to saving faith. I was, first of all, I was young. And for some of you in here, you might still think that I am young, but I was younger. I like to think that I'm still young. I was much younger. I was wretched. Was a sinner to the millionth millionth degree. I was wretched, but I was also sneaky. And what I mean by sneaky is I presented, I presented a good front. I was excellent at showing you who you wanted me to be. I was excellent at that. It, it, it came natural. I could show you who you wanted me to be, and we could get along just fine without you ever knowing who I really was. And I did that so often. But that night, when the Holy Spirit revealed my wretchedness, Through the word of Christ, I was, number one, exposed. I felt so exposed for the first time in my life. Because for the first time in my life, I didn't have uh, real control over my emotions when it came to my personal life. For the first time in my life, I, I just kept on saying I was sorry for all the wrong I had done, and I had never really done that before. For the first time in my life, I felt like someone read me, knew my life, knew everything that I had done. And I had done so well to keep it from everybody. But the Lord sees all. He knows our hearts. And he knows our evil ways. And he saw that and he exposed that in me. Then secondly, I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed that. I reveled in that wickedness, that I reveled in my sin, and I was proud of it. And then I had this beautiful feeling that continues on even to today. I was convicted. I was convicted. I didn't want to be that person anymore. I hated who that person was, and I just wanted to please God. But I was those things, exposed, embarrassed, and convicted by God. Now, it's the greatest downfall I've ever had because it caused me to look up. I can see in this woman, as she goes back and she shares her experience with Christ, how she says, he has told me everything I've ever done. Yeah, she's, uh, she feels exposed, she feels embarrassed, she feels convicted. But there's also the sense of love, of security, and a change of heart that you celebrate in. Now, while all this is going on with the Samaritan woman, there are other things happening with the disciples. And we come back to the, to the whole thing about tunnel vision. You see, here we have, a, we have two stories going on. One is a, a beautiful story of a lowly sinner who, who meets Christ and, and, and um, is transformed by a conversation with him, transformed by his word, by the power of his word. Beautiful story. That's what we want to celebrate when it comes to church life. On the other hand, now we have these disciples who are traveling with Christ. They are with him day in, day out. 
They understand, they, they, they must know his purpose. His purpose is to save the world, even though they didn't comprehend it right away, but they, they knew what he was about and what his labor was about. See, but when they saw the woman, they only saw that Jesus was speaking to her as a woman, and they did not see the real fact that Jesus was speaking to a soul. Do we see that many times whenever someone is brought into our lives? Do we see people as just people, or do we recognize that there's a real soul there? That there's, 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 they are the image of God. Do we recognize that? And again, that God has brought them to us for us to minister to them. Because many times, I'm right there with you, I, I've said it many times that the greatest thing in ministry are the people. The worst thing in ministry are the people. It, it, it is both many times. Because there's, there's uh, just encouragement, there's this wonderful feeling of ministering to people, and then there's these, the other side, the flip side. There's aggravation, the loss of patience, there's a lot of those things, but you know what? On the negative side, a lot of that stuff is our own problem, not the person's problem. It's our own uh, deficiencies. It's where we lack. And God has all kind of people brought into our lives so that he can grow us. So thank God for the difficult people in your life, too, because they are sanctifying you as well. And you never know, you might be one of those difficult people. I'm reminded of a lesson here that I just learned this week. Jonah and I went camping, and um, we set up our camp, and we were uh, sitting there, and it came time for dinner. And I had brought some uh, hamburger patties to cook on the grill, and I, I put them on, and, and uh, we were sitting there, and we were cooking, and we are just sitting relaxing uh, by the barbecue pit that we had set up there. And we had met our camp neighbors uh, before, very friendly people. They came over and they said hi and they had a nice RV and everything and they had a nice, real nice setup. And they had uh, come by and they had already offered us uh, some, some food and he made some barbecue and it was, it was way better than mine. Okay. But as we sat there, we ate some of his barbecue. He just gave us a piece and then uh, he ended up inviting us to go back over there. He says, hey, you know, I, I know it's just you and your son, but it's just me and my wife. We like, you know, to be around people. And uh, he's like, you can come. Y'all can come and eat with us. Just go ahead and bring what, what, uh, you, know, what you cooked. But before that, Jonah and I were having a conversation. And uh, since, Jonah, uh, since he brought us the, uh, uh, the, the barbecue to eat, Jonah offered up some, some, uh, an idea. And he said, hey, Dad, he said, why don't we invite them for s'mores later tonight? And, you know, they brought us barbecue. We can invite them for s'mores later tonight. And I tell you what, the very first thing that came to me was, oh, no, I don't feel like, I don't feel like doing that. And I even told Jonah, this is, this is whenever I don't want to say yes or no to the kids, I just say maybe, all right? And that, I'm hoping they forget, and then we don't have to talk about it anymore. So I just said, maybe, we'll do it. But as I, as I said that to him, I started thinking about the fact, and I started thinking about this sermon and me preparing it, and the fact of what I'm telling you right now. That this was a divine, this is a divine encounter. God had brought these people into our lives to sit down and talk to them, plant a seed, hopefully. And so I was convicted that even then and there, something as simple as that, 
that I didn't want to do it just because I wanted my own privacy. I wanted my own time. I wanted time with my son by ourselves. But yet there's this opportunity that we had to sit down and minister to two souls. You see, the harvest is ready now. And that's what verses 31 through 38 tells us. See, I want to rewind a little back to the, where the Samaritan woman left. The disciples pressed Jesus. They said, Rabbi, eat. Now, as we look at this, this was actually a rational concern. It was a rational concern because they had just finished traveling and they were thirsty and hungry and Jesus was included in that. As I told you, he's the one who approached the Samaritan woman for a drink and then he sent the disciples away so that they could go and get food. So for the, for the uh, uh, disciples to come back and press Jesus to eat, it was an actual rational concern. They wanted him to, re- to eat and to rest. But the disciples missed the opportunity to minister, minister to a woman because of this. And Jesus teaches them a lesson about priorities. And in, in general, he teaches them a lesson between spirit, the spiritual and physical. And the importance of both, the spiritual world and the physical world. Now, it's hard to be too hard on the disciples because we do this sort of stuff all the time. I do this stuff countless of times at the very end of the day when I know that there is something very, very important spiritually for me to do, or excuse me, very something that is important from a spiritual aspect for me to do, I, I sometimes don't do it because I am tired. I sometimes don't do it because I feel like I'm too busy. You know what that thing is? The thing is, is to have a, 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 a quiet time, to have a devotional time with my kids. At the very end of the day, I'm tired or I'm busy, and sometimes I don't do it for those reasons. Now, I'm thinking about my own situation and how I have it set up, how I'm set up, and I think I have things set up pretty nice, according to these disciples, because for one thing, um, I have a nice bed to sleep in. I can get rest that I need. I have a roof over my head. The disciples didn't have either one. I'm not walking and traveling like they were. Now, I can get why they're tunnel vision and why they're focusing on food so much. And, and, maybe, and, and also, as they come to this Samaritan woman who wouldn't have been important to them, how she can just slip away. It's hard to be too hard on them. But we must realize that we do this all the time. But yet we must not excuse ourselves from our responsibility to minister to the lost. Jesus answered them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, verse 33 tells us that the disciples thought that someone had already given Jesus food. See, they made the same mistake of thinking earthly as did Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. When Jesus was was speaking to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. Nicodemus was confused and didn't know how he could be born again. Uh, The Samaritan woman, when he offered her living water, she thought he meant physical water, that she wouldn't have to come back to the well. Jesus is talking about food, and the disciples are thinking that Jesus has already been fed and Never know, they might, they might have been pretty upset about the whole thing that they had to go get food, come back, and he's already eaten. That's kind of like whenever you make food for your kid and your kid comes home and says, I ate at Billy's house. And you're like, wow, great, I just cooked this meal. Now, 
Jesus explains that the food he speaks of is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. First of all, let's acknowledge something very important here, that he did this perfectly. He did this perfectly. In fact, he's the only one who has ever done it perfectly, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Listen, if you want to follow somebody who does the will of God, if you want to follow somebody who pleases God, look to Christ. Because if you look to anybody else, they're going to fall short. Look to Christ. He is the only one who accomplishes perfectly. So it's important that we look at him as our example and follow his lead and to do the labor that the Lord did. Now, the disciples are faced with a divine truth here. And and the divine truth is that our minds should be set to the labor of the Lord. Well, what is the labor of the Lord? Well, here it is, very simple. To save and return his lost sheep to himself. That is the labor of the Lord. He is here, or he was here, and he still works to save and return his lost sheep into, to himself. You see, we must be concerned about the spiritual aspect of people that God brings into our lives. You know, I know we're very concerned about the physical aspect, especially when we think about people within our own family. We're very concerned about that. Years and years ago, I, can't, I think maybe this is about five or six years ago, we were at, in cornfields, at some cornfield outside of San Antonio. Jonah was a lot younger, and we were all in this cornfield together. All of a sudden, Jonah slips away. And it's a, it's a corn maze. So he slips away, and he goes further than he expected, and then all of a sudden, we can't find him. So first of all, it's hard enough to get to the corn maze. Now you've got to look for a little kid who's lost in the corn maze. All these things start going through your mind. You start thinking somebody's going to take him. He's going to walk off. He could find, somehow walk into the, to the parking lot, get run over by a car. I mean, all kind of different things. He can get bit by a snake. As a father, I just I, I start looking through the cornfields, and I, 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 there's a sense of panic that I, I can't find my son. Then, of course, can't find my son, so I end up going to try to find help. And he's right there at the beginning of the cornfield. He found his way through. But I start thinking about that, and I'm like, you know what? We are so concerned about the physical aspect of our children, about the physical aspects of our family. We are so so concerned about if they have food in their belly, if they have a roof over their head, if they have clothes on their back, if they're safe if they have a vehicle to get to work in, if they have somebody to talk to and have, a, and have as a friend, if they have money, if they're comfortable, I can go down the list. These are the things that we are concerned when it comes to our children and when it comes to those who we, whom we love. But are we as concerned for their spiritual well-being? Are we as concerned as we are when it comes to their physical well-being. I think as a parent, that's very difficult to answer. And for me, I had to look at that face-to-face and realize that 
sometimes I'm not as concerned for their spiritual well-being that I am for their, as, as I am for their physical well-being at times. See, our focus should be people, and our method should be the gospel. Jesus tells the disciples, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, the four months was in reference to the Jewish harvest, and Jesus was using a parable here to teach the disciples a sense of urgency. And and. There, there must be urgency because we must notice that God's harvest is not based on our timetable, but rather it's based on his. And we must see that the inauguration of, of the spiritual harvest was at hand with the incarnation of Christ. That's when the urgency started. And since we do not know when he will return, we must have urgency to further the kingdom of God. Jesus says, already, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. You see, this is not something that's taking place later. This is not something that you can say maybe to. Jesus says, already, already, it's already taken place. You are already called for this. Now, this passage reminds me of a, when you tell a child to do something. And I know every single parent in here can understand this. Sometimes they lag or they delay in doing what you ask them to do. And when you press them about it, they say, oh, you meant for, you meant for me to do it right now. And you kind of give them this look and you're like, yeah, I want you to do it now. Christian, do not delay The Lord is calling you to perform his labor right now. Now, what is it that he has called you to do? Or, let me ask a better question. Who has he called you to be? Who has he called you to minister to? Do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. There are a million reasons of excuses why you can think to wait. You must be about your father's business. Because, listen to this, this is is very true. If we're not about the Lord's labor now, if we're not about our father's business now, and if we don't think that it's urgent, then we must not believe what we're doing is effective or that it's needed. That has to be true. If we're not sharing the gospel with those who God brings into our lives, and there's no urgency about us in doing that, we must not believe it's effective or needed. But it's both. It's both effective and needed. The Bible tells us that the power of salvation comes through the word of God. It is how people believe. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Though it is both effective and needed, we just have to perform it. I love how this story ends, though. We see an unlikely laborer, and it's awesome. As Jesus is teaching his disciples about the blessings of reaping and sowing, there's a picture of a crowd. A crowd is coming towards him. Now, this is awesome how the Holy Spirit works. Jesus speaks to one woman. She goes and speaks to a whole town. The disciples miss their opportunity to minister to this soul, and yet all these souls are coming to Christ. Verse 39 says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The fact that she said, he told me all that I ever did. Now, the Samaritan woman that the disciples dismissed went to her own town, as I said before, and shared Christ with those who lived there. Now, I want us to think about the significance of that. This woman was socially shunned by her people. Remember, we talked about the whole thing. That's why she was alone at the well. She was shunned because she was in an immoral relationship with a man who wasn't her husband. She was living with a man who wasn't her husband. So she was shunned. She was seen as an outcast. But now, a redeemed soul, that outcast is sharing the good news of Christ to anyone who would listen. Let me ask you this, because this is what I ask myself. What happened to you? What has happened to you? Do you remember the day that the Lord redeemed you? Do you remember when you first realized that you were saved by God? Do you remember the emotions that went with that? thankfulness, the eager to want to serve, the eagerness to want to serve? Do you remember the newness of life you felt? The commitment you said you had? What happened to you? I can answer that question. Yourself happened to you. Life happened to you. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. We have been given a purpose. We have been called. We have work to do. What happened to the zeal that you had when you were just saved? How can we get that back? I can answer that. We can pray to the Lord him to move in our hearts repent of our own sin for going wayward in that in in that aspect of life for making life too much about ourselves for piling on things just piling it on piling it on to where all we focus on is our physical life and not the spiritual well-being of anybody else so much so that even times we're not even worried about the spiritual life of people in our own homes 
There are families who don't even pick up the Bible to read the Bible together, to understand the Bible together. There are parents who don't even pray with their kids. But yet they make sure their kids have shoes, clothes on their back, the, the latest shoes, and the nicest clothes. They go to the best schools. They make sure they go to college. They make sure of all this other stuff. But what about the spiritual aspect? See, it's so frustrating because it's frustrating for me because I'm looking at my own life and I'm asking myself, what happened to you? Where did you lose your way? I love this woman because she's a great example of how God uses anybody and everybody. A couple weeks ago, we acknowledged that she was the worst of sinners. Now she's an evangelist. Wonderful what God does to us so, what God does to us so. As a result, listen to this, many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. See, too many times our focus is not the people that we have in our lives. And when it is the people, many times we fail to focus on those that, that go beyond who we care about or who we know. Many times our focus doesn't extend past our, our, our calendar, um, our to-do list, or the walls of our church. We are oftentimes too distracted about our earthly business rather than our heavenly business. Now, this is true about our evangelism. This is true about our prayer, our study, our fellowship. I, I, want, I want you to leave with just this reminder. I hope you leave with more than that, but for sure this reminder. Be sensitive to divine interruption. Be sensitive to divine interruption because sometimes we don't see it as divine interruption. We just see it as a, a hassle or a nuisance. And yet, we acknowledge that everything happens according to God's will. And yet, we acknowledge that he is sovereign and he brings people into our lives. And then when they come into our lives, we're upset about it. Please be sensitive to divine interruptions. And remember this. As John the Baptist said, the whole purpose of our life is that he increase and we decrease. That's what it's all about. Let us pray.